0: Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Well, next Sunday is one of the greatest Sundays of the year. It's not on the religious calendar, but it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? Right. If you like football, it's great. You know what one of the greatest things about Super Bowl is? You know this is true. The commercials. Right? The commercials. Even if you don't like football, you'll tune in in between the plays to see the commercials because they're great. Sometimes they're just raunchy. Yeah, I know that. But a lot of times they're just really funny. I might have said it before, but I love commercials. Matter of fact, I would watch bad television just so I could see the commercials. Because, among other things, they say a lot about our culture. Um, I won't go on a rant about what they say. My wife's heard that and hates it, and I won't do it to you. But sometimes they're just funny, and they make me laugh out loud. Every one of them, though, right, has the same point. It's to be short, crisp, pithy to remind you of one thing. And most of the time, you get the message. Matter of fact, it'll stick in your head and it won't go away. One that I thought of this week when I was preparing for this sermon was the Staples commercial. You know, the easy button, boink. Everything's piled up on the desk. The secretary's just overwhelmed by what the boss has given her. And she looks to her right and she sees Staples' red button and pats it with her head, and boom, all the papers come together and everything's fine. The easy button is right in front of her. All you got to do is tap it, and Staples is there for you if you're willing to pay enough money to organize your life right now. It's a great commercial because you never forget it. And it's stupid. Really stupid. Because Staples is not going to make your life easy. You still have to organize it. Of course, it might make it a little easier. And you know what's even more stupid? Sometimes we think about the gospel that way. The good news is going to make my life easy. Everything's going to get better. Everything that was good is better yet. Everything that was bad is going to fade into oblivion. And I'm going to have perfect peace. Don't mean to smash your dream, but Jesus never says that. Oh, he does talk about joy. He talks about joy that's unspeakable. He talks about love. He talks about hope. He talks about peace. But he doesn't say everything's going to be all right. He doesn't say that the gospel has an easy button. Because it doesn't. And if you look at the gospel, more often than not, it's a call to discipleship. It's a call to follow. And following is routinely not easy when Jesus speaks. You'll notice from these stories this morning. At the very beginning, it starts out with Jesus being rejected by the Samaritans. And at first you think, well, that's not really a disciple calling story, but actually I think it is. It precedes three other stories. So why is it linked? Why does Luke choose to link it to those other three encounters with three people? I think because... Jesus is teaching in that first story with the rejection of the Samaritans of his gospel he's teaching the disciples that following Jesus requires patience what did they want to do? when the gospel was rejected when Jesus gave them the good news when Jesus the very son of God was in their presence when he gave them more than they could ever ask for and they said thanks but no thanks the disciples said are you kidding me? We're giving you the good news and you're rejecting it. I've got an idea. Why don't we just call down fire from heaven and burn up the whole town? Talk about a loss of patience. Jesus turns and rebukes them and he says, no. In effect, he basically says, stop it already. Don't you understand what following me means? It means that like me, you're going to share the good news And people are going to reject it. Like me, you're going to give yourself away and people are going to stomp on your goodness. Like me, if you follow me, you're going to have to have patience not to punch them in the mouth. And not to call down judgment upon them. Oh, God's going to judge. That is absolutely certain. But that's God's job, not yours. So following Jesus first requires patience. Second, following Jesus is absolutely unpredictable. Did you notice the man who said, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. And Jesus said, do you have any idea what you just asked? The foxes have places to sleep. The birds have a nest. I don't have any place to lay my head. Let me tell you what life is like with me. From one day to the next, you never know where you're going to be. You never have any idea what's going to happen. And we really don't know where we're going to sleep. In Matthew's gospel, this same reference includes a little bit more detail. It says that it was actually a scribe, which was a teacher of the law, who said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, I'm willing to follow you. It seems that the implication in that person's mind was this. He was selecting Jesus to be his rabbi. That was not uncommon. People sought out rabbis. They had certain rabbis they wanted to study with. And he was basically saying to Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll be a student. You be the rabbi. Not unlike a Ph.D. student who comes to Indiana University or somewhere else has placed himself or herself in this place to study under a person, a famous professor. They want them on their dissertation committee. They want to learn as much as they can from them. They want to make their way in the world. They come to be taught and mentored and tutored. And Jesus says, well, my friend, let me tell you about the paradigm. It's not like that. Teachers or rabbis teach and you sit and listen. If you want to be my student, it means you put on your sandals. You put on your walking clothes. And you follow. Oh yeah, I'll teach. I'm a teacher. But really, it's probably more likely that most people will call me a prophet. An itinerant preacher. Because that's what we're going to do. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the unpredictable? Third lesson in these stories is um, following Jesus is a matter of urgency extreme urgency one man comes to jesus and says jesus i'll follow you but first i've heard about you i know what you're teaching you're really cool i want to be there but i need to take care of my family i need to bury my father and jesus says something that sounds really harsh not uncommon for him he says things that sound harsh all the time and sometimes they are just downright harsh and other times there's an interpretation that's kind of hidden That would be helpful for us to understand the true meaning of Jesus says let the dead bury their dead Okay, how's that possible? Anyway, um, you want to ask right some people say well, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead No, that's neither of those is what he's saying Jesus is actually speaking into this man's life and it was a tradition of course a rich tradition for people to bury their parents. And, and there was a lot that went into it. that in the Jewish culture. It was a part of honoring your mother and your father. And Jesus, I think it unlikely to say, that Jesus was telling the person not to honor his father and mother. I think it unlikely to say that Jesus was telling this person, don't follow the Torah on this one. Don't follow the Ten Commandments. Just come follow me and dishonor your parents. I doubt it. It's more likely that Jesus was saying, I want you to follow me. Before you get all your affairs in order. Today is the day. If you're going to follow. Let's go. Why? Because what we also know. Is that in that tradition. Sometimes people would say. They would not leave their town. They would not go anywhere. Until their parents had passed away. And they could bury them. And then they would go matter of fact, in a couple of stories I read this week about this culture, there was um, uh, some missionaries who were missionaries in the Middle East um, who were working with very bright students. And one of them, this was about at the turn of the century, um, one of them was exceptionally bright and very uh, quick to catch on to all kinds of things. And this missionary professor really wanted this young man to go to Cambridge. And he said, You've got it. You've got what it takes. Uh, we can send you to Cambridge to get an education. And as a matter of fact, it's paid for. It's full scholarship. We, we have these connections. And the young man said to him, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but I can't. I've got to bury my father. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea your father passed away. He said, oh, no, my dad didn't pass away. He said, he's w- well, he's alive. He's only 50 years old. He said, what do you mean? He said, I must stay here until my father is dead. Then I can go to school. It's a different way of thinking, right? Jesus is not saying ignore all the tradition. He's not saying dishonor your parents. But what I think he's saying is look, there's some things that are so urgent that you don't have to have everything together in your life before you do them. If I'm calling you, step out on faith. If I'm calling you, then follow me. Could I insert a phrase that I think would be typical of Jesus? And if your father passes away, of course, go back for the funeral. But don't have everything lined up in your life before you commit to following me. Why? Because you'll never follow me. If you've got everything the way you want it, you'll stay.
0: From Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him, because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Well, next Sunday is one of the greatest Sundays of the year. It's not on the religious calendar, but it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? If you like football, it's great. You know what one of the greatest things about Super Bowl is? You know this is true. The commercials. Right? The commercials. Even if you don't like football, you'll tune in in between the plays to see the commercials because they're great. Sometimes they're just raunchy. Yeah, I know that. But a lot of times they're just really funny. I might have said it before, but I love commercials. Matter of fact, I would watch bad television just so I could see the commercials. Because, among other things, they say a lot about our culture. Um, I won't go on a rant about what they say. My wife's heard that and hates it, and I won't do it to you. But sometimes they're just funny, and they make me laugh out loud. Every one of them, though, right, has the same point. It's to be short, crisp, pithy to remind you of one thing. And most of the time you get the message. Matter of fact, it'll stick in your head and it won't go away. One that I thought of this week when I was preparing for this sermon was the Staples commercial. You know, the easy button? Boink. Everything's piled up on the desk. The secretary's just overwhelmed by what the boss has given her. And she looks to her right and she sees Staples' red button and st- pats it with her head and boom all the papers come together and everything's fine the easy button is right in front of her. all you got to do is tap it and staples is there for you if you're willing to pay enough money to organize your life right now it's a great commercial because you never forget it and it's stupid really stupid because staples is not going to make your life easy you still have to organize it of course it might make it a little easier and you know what's even more stupid Sometimes we think about the gospel that way. The good news is going to make my life easy. Everything's going to get better. Everything that was good is better yet. Everything that was bad is going to fade into oblivion. And I'm going to have perfect peace. Don't mean to smash your dream, but Jesus never says that. Oh, He does talk about joy He talks about joy. That's unspeakable. He talks about love. He talks about hope. He talks about peace But he doesn't say everything's gonna be all right. He doesn't say that the gospel has an easy button Because it doesn't And if you look at the gospel more often than not it's a call to discipleship It's a call to follow and following is routinely not easy when Jesus speaks You'll notice from these stories this morning. At the very beginning, it starts out with Jesus being rejected by the Samaritans. And at first you think, well, that's not really a disciple calling story, but actually I think it is. It precedes three other stories. So why is it linked? Why does Luke choose to link it to those other three encounters with three people? I think because... Jesus is teaching in that first story with the rejection of the Samaritans of his gospel he's teaching the disciples that following Jesus requires patience what did they want to do? when the gospel was rejected when Jesus gave them the good news when Jesus the very son of God was in their presence when he gave them more than they could ever ask for and they said thanks but no thanks the disciples said are you kidding me? We're giving you the good news, and you're rejecting it? I've got an idea. Why don't we just call down fire from heaven and burn up the whole town? Talk about a loss of patience. Jesus turns and rebukes them, and he says, no. In effect, he basically says, stop it already. Don't you understand what following me means? It means that, like me, you're going to share the good news, And people are going to reject it. Like me, you're going to give yourself away and people are going to stomp on your goodness. Like me, if you follow me, you're going to have to have patience. Not to punch them in the mouth. And not to call down judgment upon them. Oh, God's going to judge. That is absolutely certain. But that's God's job, not yours. So following Jesus first requires patience. Second, following Jesus is absolutely unpredictable. Did you notice the man who said, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. And Jesus said, do you have any idea what you just asked? The foxes have places to sleep. The birds have a nest. I don't have any place to lay my head. Let me tell you what life is like with me. From one day to the next, you never know where you're going to be. You never have any idea what's going to happen. And we really don't know where we're going to sleep. In Matthew's gospel this same reference includes a little bit more detail it says that it was actually a scribe which was a teacher of the law who said to Jesus rabbi teacher I'm willing to follow you it seems that the implication in that person's mind was this he was selecting Jesus to be his rabbi that was not uncommon People sought out rabbis. They had certain rabbis they wanted to study with. And he was basically saying to Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll be a student. You be the rabbi. Not unlike a Ph.D. student who comes to Indiana University or somewhere else has placed himself or herself in this place to study under a person, a famous professor. They want them on their dissertation committee. They want to learn as much as they can from them. They want to make their way in the world. They come to be taught and mentored and tutored. And Jesus says, well, my friend, let me tell you about the paradigm. It's not like that. Teachers or rabbis teach and you sit and listen. If you want to be my student, it means you put on your sandals. You put on your walking clothes. And you follow. Oh yeah, I'll teach. I'm a teacher. But really, it's probably more likely that most people will call me a prophet. An itinerant preacher. Because that's what we're going to do. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the unpredictable? Third lesson in these stories is um, following Jesus is a matter of urgency extreme urgency one man comes to jesus and says jesus i'll follow you but first i've heard about you i know what you're teaching you're really cool i want to be there but i need to take care of my family i need to bury my father and jesus says something that sounds really harsh not uncommon for him he says things that sound harsh all the time and sometimes they are just downright harsh and other times there's an interpretation that's kind of hidden That would be helpful for us to understand the true meaning of Jesus says let the dead bury their dead Okay, how's that possible? Anyway, um, you want to ask right some people say well, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead No, that's neither of those is what he's saying Jesus is actually speaking into this man's life And it was a tradition of course a rich tradition For people to bury their parents. And and there was a lot that went into it. that in the Jewish culture. It was a part of honoring your mother and your father. And Jesus, I think it unlikely to say, that Jesus was telling the person not to honor his father and mother. I think it unlikely to say that Jesus was telling this person, don't follow the Torah on this one. Don't follow the Ten Commandments. Just come follow me and dishonor your parents. I doubt it. It's more likely that Jesus was saying, I want you to follow me. Before you get all your affairs in order. Today is the day. If you're going to follow. Let's go. Why? Because what we also know. Is that in that tradition. Sometimes people would say. They would not leave their town. They would not go anywhere. Until their parents had passed away. And they could bury them. And then they would go Matter of fact, in a couple of stories I read this week about this culture, there was um, uh, some missionaries who were missionaries in the Middle East um, who were working with very bright students. And one of them, this was about at the turn of the century, um, one of them was exceptionally bright and very uh, quick to catch on to all kinds of things. And this missionary professor really wanted this young man to go to Cambridge. And he said, You've got it. You've got what it takes. Uh, we can send you to Cambridge to get an education. And as a matter of fact, it's paid for. It's full scholarship. We, we have these connections. And the young man said to him, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but I can't. I've got to bury my father. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea your father passed away. He said, oh, no, my dad didn't pass away. He said, he's well, he's alive. He's only 50 years old. He said, what do you mean? He said, I must stay here until my father is dead. Then I can go to school. It's a different way of thinking, right? Jesus is not saying ignore all the tradition. He's not saying dishonor your parents. But what I think he's saying is, look, there's some things that are so urgent that you don't have to have everything together in your life before you do them. If I'm calling you, step out on faith. If I'm calling you, Then follow me. Could I insert a phrase that I think would be typical of Jesus? And if your father passes away, of course, go back for the funeral. But don't have everything lined up in your life before you commit to following me. Why? Because you'll never follow me. If you've got everything the way you want it, you'll stay. It's a matter of urgency, says Jesus. If you want to follow, the time is now. The fourth lesson I see in these stories is that following Jesus requires commitment, serious commitment. Jesus says to a man who says, I'll follow you. He says, I want to tell you something. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of me. An image we're not that familiar with, right? How many have plowed fields last week? Anybody? Probably not too many. Have anybody ever plowed fields at all in this country? Oh, yeah, we got two. That's awesome. Three. I saw three. First service, we had more than that. Um, <laughs> the image of plowing and doing a straight furrow is not something we think about a whole lot. I do remember my father-in-law talking about living up in Shelbyville, Indiana, um, and uh, they had a farm. And uh, he actually remembers plowing the field with a horse and a plow um and he said one of the ways that you learn early on to uh plow a straight row is that you find an object out there in the distance on the horizon you just keep your eye on it and you just go for it right you line it up you know you're straight to begin with and you'll take your eye off of it and then you turn around you come back the other way and you do that and it helps jesus is basically saying you got to do that If you want to follow me you got to keep your eye on the plow or your eye on the distance or your eye on the soil where the rocks are that could throw you off. You've got to be committed. Don't glance to the right or to the left if you're going to follow me. So maybe plows don't do it for us. How about this analogy? Don't text when you drive. Huh? Keep your eyes on the road. I remember when my kids decided to get their license. You know, they went through the driver's ed thing. Um... I was always really good for reiterating things that the driver's ed teacher told them, um, ad nauseum ad infinitum. And one of the things I heard the driver's ed teacher say, typically, students, the car follows your eyes. So if you glance to the right, it's likely you're going to drift to the right. If you glance to the left, it's likely you're going to drift to the left. So keep your eyes on the road. Jesus said, this is a matter of extreme urgency. You need absolute commitment you can't be glancing to the right or to the left keep your eye on the road Um, interesting images aren't they what do they tell us about our life uh, with Christ our life together the first thing that occurred to me as I studied this passage this week is it's pretty simple but we need to remind ourselves of it The good news is inseparable from following. The good news is not just good news. The good news is good news when you enter the good news. The good news is just a story. And if you want to study a story, have at it, says Jesus. But you'll never know the good news unless you follow me. Then you know the good news. Let me say something controversial. I'm up for that, aren't you? I know I get comments, email feedback, but I'm okay with that. Here's a thought for you and me, evangelicals, who routinely talk about the new birth who speak over and over again about making a decision for Jesus, who say, God saves you, and that's it. It's sealed. How about this? Jesus didn't come to save you so he could grant you entrance into heaven. He came to redeem you so he could transform you right now. Do I not believe in heaven? Absolutely I do. Do I not believe in salvation? Absolutely I believe in salvation. But if you take a look at this New Testament, my friends, the predominant message is not about save from the hells of fire. It's almost never got anything to do with it. You know what it is? It's about being saved from yourself. It's about turning to Jesus and being transformed from the inside out because you follow and in following, you're transformed by the grace of God. You're redeemed. Jesus says the good news is inseparable from that. You've got to follow me. Then it's good news. Then you're transformed. Are you ready for that? There's something else that Jesus says about the good news. Um, He says that um, I didn't call you to follow me so you could be a little bit better. So that your life would improve. So that the you, which is already really good in your own estimation, would just be better. Jesus never made those statements. You know one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. Lewis. So poignant. I love the way he put it. When he said, what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said this. When you follow Jesus, Jesus says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your talent and money and so much of your work. I want you all of you i've not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman but to kill it no half measures will do i don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there rather i want to cut down the whole tree hand it over to me the whole outfit all of your desires all of your wants, all your wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me. And give me yourself. Now, my friends, that's some tough language, huh? That's some serious stuff. And if we stop there, it would be really dark. But here's the good news. Turn them all over to me. Give me yourself, and I will make you a new self in my image. My will will become your will, my heart shall become your heart. That's the good news. Jesus doesn't want to just dabble around the edges. He doesn't want you just to toy with the idea of how great it would be. He wants to to jump into the deep end. Head first and follow. So, the question is, where are you? Have you even made the decision to follow? Maybe you've heard before, but you've never said... Okay, I get the story now. I see the seriousness. I realize my way's not working. It's time for me to surrender. If you haven't, here's the word from Jesus. Today is the day. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Right now. Because all days are today. If you haven't made that commitment, won't you make it today? And the quiet of your own heart as we pray. And then tell somebody about it. But second question. You made the commitment, right? It might have been 30 years ago. Is it possible? That right now God is calling you? In some kind of new way? Some area of your life that you need to surrender. Some direction you need to take. And you keep putting it off. I'll get everything lined up. Once I get my ducks in a row. Once I grow up. Once I... Once I... And you'll keep saying that forever. If you feel God calling your heart... Oh, don't completely trust yourself, right? Because we know we're all foolish. Consult with someone you know and love and loves you. It's a Christ follower. Then if you're hearing correctly, today's the day. Now's the time. All days are today. If God's calling you, do it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace. Uh, Thank you that you don't just tell the story or even offer the hope of salvation. Uh, There's ways in which you just kind of invade our life with the story. Sometimes it's an annoying person who just won't stop talking. Sometimes it's an annoying preacher who just keeps hammering it. Sometimes it's your word in the quiet of our own hearts that is an echo, a haunt that won't go away. Sometimes it's just an intuition. But God, You you do pursue us. We know that we are dead on our own in our trespasses and in sin unless You make us alive to You. And we thank You right now for making us alive, for giving us the desire. And now, God, especially today, we pray that You will incline someone's heart make the decision to say yes Lord Jesus I surrender my life to you it's not working my way I know I need you as a Savior I come to you right now and Lord for those who have been following and well quite frankly like all of us their hands slipped off the plow and their hearts have not been as true as it ought to be. We pray, Lord, uh, as you speak to those individuals, that you will give them the courage to step out in faith and follow. To hear your voice clearly, to know that it's you. Not just an emotion, but truly you. And then to follow. And Lord, we'll thank you for the redemption that takes place. When we surrender, when we follow, And when you transform. That's good news. Thank you for it Lord. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.